many white men have you canceled this year, Mr. Brown? Uh... I want lipstick. No. Now to the task at hand. <laughs> I know that you wish to speak about your sports games incessantly, but I am here for a different purpose. But everyone already innately knows this. These people are not freaking humans. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 157, Elevator Speech. You got 15 seconds. You get an elevator speech, me, pal? Elevator speech, me, chief? This man has the ultimate elevator. Sing it, Kenny! Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen. You ever heard this man's elevator speech? You probably haven't. You want to know why? That's because unlike myself, he doesn't have to schlep vacuum cleaners door to door. <laughs> like Willie Loman over here, trying to figure out the way of the world. What an episode coming your way today. Bro Exotic is in. We are not going to talk about... I. He had to email me. We can't talk about the woke gender reveals within the pansexual realm of the woke church until, you know, Pride Month is over. I'm sure you understand, so we're going to get to that. But Bro Exotic is on, and he does not disappoint. The Braves, we just spoke about them. We're going to talk about them for one second real quick. I had dinner with Benny Hanna tonight. That was incredible. I also watched Avatar, the sequel. I have my review coming your way. Can't wait to get into that. I do want to talk about a little baseball. What's going on with the Reds? What's going on with the Yankees? We'll talk about that and the elevator speech. And ladies and gentlemen, it is only June. But I love you so much. So much. I'm going to be discussing potentially a college future right now. Unprecedented. Everybody knows this. I mean, Twitter's erupting right now. It's trending. I think two to three people are discussing it. It's a massive deal. I think we all know that. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antelope. Hey, if you're bored, reach out, touch brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Or the drunk neighbor... We'll cuck you. It is that simple. And by the way, you probably won't be hearing from the drunk neighbor, at least next to me for a bit, because they have commenced their summering in Michigan. Yes, that is correct. The dogs, everybody's up, which means one thing and one thing only, open house. That's all I know. There is a house open. I have a key, and I am going to get busy with a little Airbnb. I may even go back and get my real estate degree like Tyrone Biggums. And then I can just sell his house. You see, that's how it works. The drunk neighbor gave me one instruction. He left to Michigan. He handed me his keys. He was about to give me a hug. I thought we were going to have a moment. And then he said, I have one rule. Stay the f*** out my house. (laughs) Great advice. Let's get this going. So we talked about the Braves last week, and after we discussed the Braves 1-2-3, they moved Olsen down to the 6-hole. We almost called it. Like, you got a guy in the 2-hole. We did call it. And then I read on why they did it, and it was exactly what I said. So it made me look smart for suggesting he maybe shouldn't be there, but I know why he is, to looking really stupid when they actually moved him out. So instead of me saying, see, I call it, it actually disproved my point. (laughs) Um, But the Braves, since then... <clears throat> For those of you with a abacus at home, since that episode, have scored 70 
two runs. 72 runs in six games. And it's not really that skewed. They got 114 spot up there. My brother's at my house on Father, Father's Day. Shows me he's got a two-teamer with LSU and the Braves. Well, if you've been parlaying LSU and the Braves, you've been winning a lot. Especially after last night. Thank God that the Tigers have advanced. It is four in the morning. And I'm getting this one out of the way. I lost a couple. Oh, thank God that they won that game. LSU needs to win the national championship in baseball this year. Don't tell me why, but they, they have to. And things are really warming up in Omaha. No pun intended because it is hot as hell. And that park is way too big. Before that game yesterday, real quick, sidebar, uh, TCU is playing uh, TCU is playing Florida. And TCU's down by one, bottom of the ninth. Their closer, who's going to get drafted, he's insane, comes in, a high draft pick, uh, as a closer. Uh, he comes in, strikes out the first two guys. He's just nasty. He's, he's just got some wild stuff. And gets their best hitter, that third baseman with 26 home runs or something, gets him up and puts two right past him, 0-2, and then just thinks, oh, it's 0-2, no one's on. This game's over, and Groove's a 98-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle that is absolutely eviscerated. When it came off the bat, I thought the game was tied. I mean, I really did. But while the ball was in the air, it occurred to me that this stadium is larger than Yankee Stadium back when they won their first World Series around the Revolutionary War. Yes, we all know the Yankees and how they won their first World Series around the time when Moses came down from the Ten Commandments. They were the only team, and they just gave themselves awards uh, like 9,000 B.C. It's incredible how that works. Anyway, Florida's center fielder makes a Willie Mays over-the-shoulder while he runs into the wall catch. Even if it drops, it still might have been an in-the-park home run, to be honest. This dude can fly, and he would have done the whole falling back while the ball goes out of his hand. But it should have been a home run. It was a 407-foot out, as I read on the bottom of the transcribe there in the television. The volume wasn't on, but that is outrageous. They should look into that. There's no way you should be hitting balls. And most guys like myself that have been watching baseball forever, you know what this sounds like. And when you watch this guy swing, I mean, I thought he nutted it into another planet. I can't believe it stayed in the park, but this park, yeah, way too big. So they move Olsen down. And it didn't matter because the Braves just started pounding, pounding, and pounding. My brother has the Braves parlay, and they're down 5 nothing in the, in the second. And I just remember going, yeah, it's not good. Then I'm looking at FanDuel live, and for the Braves to win the game, down by five runs. That's like three touchdowns, right? Down by five runs was only plus 180 to win the game. You're not even getting 100% profit on a bet that you're down i mean how is that not like or 200 percent? that should be plus 200 minimum so i knew that the algorithm and FanDuel was kind of like yeah the rockies suck and i mean the Braves scored 10 unanswered end up scoring i think 14 it's just ridiculous when these guys start hitting the ball what uh what that looks like and it's just fun to watch it does remind me of the astros when they had springer uh, altuve even like Brantley was in there somewhere at some point in there. You have Correa. I think he was still there. He was there. And, of course, you know, Bre- Altuve. Bre- I mean, you have basically six guys in a row that can club the ball. Uh, they can just mash. And you'll see this from time to time. And the Braves have that going. And the craziest part about this drubbing of the Rockies was in the seventh inning. 
in the seventh inning when they had 12 runs that were unanswered at that point. Albies, excuse me, Albies was moved to the two-hole that game and went like five for six. But Acuna, Riley, and Olsen were 0 for 8. <clears throat> 0 for, oh, excuse me, 0 for 12 at that point. So this team's able to bash in all these runs with potentially their best three hitters not even having a hit. And that's very difficult to do. And that kind of brings a little testament to what I was saying about just the, the overall depth of that lineup. Now, I sound like a Braves fan. I'm a TCU fan. We all know that. But I will say this. For the first time in the history of North American athletics, the Texas Christian goes to the final eight in Omaha. And then Texas Christian goes to the championship in football as well as the final four in basketball. And no team has ever done that before. So we all know I'm the biggest TCU fan in the world, best football team ever. Well, now I can sport my purple uh, along with my LSU purple because they've done something that no, no school's ever done. And if you think about how crazy that statement is, I remember when Florida beat Ohio State in the national championship in football and then beat them in the national championship in basketball and then lost in the national championship in baseball, I was there. Florida almost ran the table, which would have been just the most ridiculous thing uh, ever. And then that brings me to my next question. I guess that that statistic is wrong. I am sorry. This podcast going off the hinges. I just realized, how is that possible if Florida... Oh, it didn't run into the same year. That's why. Florida, it did the other base... The next football season ran into... Or the basketball season ran into another year. That's why. But they would have been in three consecutive championship games, but whatever. Uh, it's all just stupid details at that point. I did have dinner last night with Benny Hanna. You should know this for a lot of reasons. Benny Hanna doing well. I know a lot of people were concerned. We haven't had a movie review in a while. I had to have this conversation with him in front of his kids. Do you think I want to have these conversations with men in front of their kids at a catfish buffet in, in, in Alabama somewhere? And did that menu have anything on the grill? Two things on the grill. Yeah, that's right. And I found the, one of the two things that was on the grill, <laughs> along with Benny Hanna's lovely wife. Great to see him. A lot of bad movies. We should be having him on very soon. Speaking of, I saw Avatar 2 finally. I cannot believe no one told me, or maybe I just was just in the, this kaleidoscope of just complete entertainment where I just didn't see what was happening right around me in my periphery, that the antagonist from the first one, the angry old white MAGA man, has now been reincarnated into an avatar to once again fight Jake Sully. This movie starts off at a 10, if I know that. Then we can work it down to a 3, which is what it is. I watched the first 30 minutes with my brother. It was the dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life, but it's one of these movies you have to watch it because it's so funny. So I'll continue and finish that on my Delta Flight Home Friday, and I will update accordingly. As I know you all wait there with bated breath. Rounding up baseball before we get into the nitty, the Cincinnati Reds have won 11 games in a row. Three weeks ago, this team had less people in attendance than an Oakland A's game. And there was talk about potentially selling this franchise, which would be horrible. The Cincinnati Reds are a storied program. And this is some of the things Major League Baseball is losing is some of that historic nostalgia. You can see it happening with jerseys. You can see it happening with team names. It's important the Reds stay in Cincinnati. I don't have a baseball team, but I know more about Major League Baseball as far as players go than anyone you know outside of somebody that obsesses over daily fantasy. I can't keep up with those guys. But I can tell you it is very important to have that team stay in Cincinnati, and they are winning. And on Joey Votto's return on the 11th game, and they did play yesterday. I don't. They did not play yesterday. But on 
his return because he hasn't played since Moses came down from the mountain. I mean, this guy's been out for almost a year. He hits one to Beijing. I mean, the Reds are just doing it. That division is a dog pile of heaping, steaming dog dung. And they can easily win that division because the Brewers are just deciding they don't want to do it with the best pitching in the National League almost. They, they just feel that they just, they just can't do it. Even with bringing back Wade Miley and Tehran, two guys, I mean, you know, and they're pitching as well as they ever have, and you still can't win. I mean, I, I just find that to be hilarious. And the, and the majority of your games are against Iowa State, you know, Bowling Green, and Maine. And you still can't figure it out. It's unbelievable. And one thing that is easily figured out, you like that transition as I stumble through all this, is Aaron Judge. I saw a statistic, and I didn't believe it until I looked. I don't think I've ever seen this before. The Yankees are averaging over two runs a game less without Aaron Judge. That right there is unbelievable. That's the difference between winning and losing well over 50, half of those games they've lost by one, and they're still managing to win. It shows how good the Yankees are, and unlike the Brewers, they're in the best division I've ever seen, the Red Sox holding up the rear on a nasty win streak themselves, uh, five or six games above 500. I think we're sick of hearing about the AL East, but it's just, I'm sorry, I'm not, you can't just avoid anything that fascinating. It's unbelievable. They just destroy each other, and outside of that division, they win about 80% of their games. Go look at that. Just start betting the NL East outside or the AL East outside the AL East, and you're going to win four out of five because that's what they're winning. 79% nearly of those games, they're clipping, which is incredible. So they are the best division ever, period. <laughs> There's no getting around that. The elevator speech. We have discussed this for years, but never actually talked about it. We all know what it is. If you don't, it is a simulation in which, let's say, you're a sales guy and you're at some convention, or I'm, I'm being very, mind, very narrow here, but just stay with me, and there's a guy floating around at this convention that you know you need to isolate at some point and talk to him. He's a very revered and important decision maker within the opportunity that you are trying to pursue. Ergo, you're going to need to speak to this guy to set up a meeting, and that's the beauty of the whole thing. Setting up a meeting is by far more difficult than closing a deal with the right guy. Everyone in their everyone and their mother wants to meet with the CEO of XYZ company, okay? And this guy usually pays people, gatekeepers to make sure that they can't get there or if they do, they get vetted to hell to make sure this guy's not meeting with ass clowns because he does not have time. Because there's nothing stockholders love more than a CEO that wastes their time. And dropping the stock price. I mean, that seems to be on par for, you know, the woke market these days. So I imagine that that's in line with, with the thinking of the elite. Because that's how it goes now, doesn't it? But before the meeting is secured and you're qualified appropriately on their end, you're going to need to talk to this guy at some point. What happens if you get in the elevator and then he sneaks in and the door closes and he presses 36 and you're on 32? So you have a few levels with this guy. You have about 15 seconds in this elevator. What are you going to say? It's not quantum physics. You have 15 seconds to fancy this person's attention, to garner some sort of interest in whatever it is you're peddling. A widget, a fidget, a program, peanuts. Doesn't matter. And what most people fall victim to is not preparing for this scenario. As unprepared as I am in life, this, for whatever reason, is something that does not sneak up on me. 
When there is a guy at a convention or any type of place that I know I need to speak to him, I'm going to try to isolate this guy as naturally as I can. This is the best way to do it, as I've learned. And when that time comes, I need to know what I'm going to say. I hate to script things, but sometimes it's necessary, especially with something so pivotal as this. When this guy gives you the 15 seconds, you introduce yourself to him, extend out your right hand, and when he shakes it, turn over the hourglass because the 15-second hourglass has commenced. Not much time to dilly-dally, now is there? You need to be confident. You need to be humorous slash funny and effective in a quarter of a minute. Can you do that? Probably not because it is not nearly as easy as one might think. Think of it as you've been trying to holler at this particular female who identifies as a female, born with a vagina at birth, those types. When you finally get a chance to approach her at the keg party or at the bar or at your buddy's house and you fumble around like an idiot, it's not because so much you're too nervous for the situation. It's not because she's out of your league, even though she might be. That doesn't matter. I'll tell you that right now. None of this matters. What matters is your ability to give her the elevator speech because just like said person in the elevator, a girl at a bar, you only have 15 seconds and tick, tock, tick. The clock is running. A girl lose interest way faster, I would. Who's this ass clown? There's a hundred of you floating around here and that guy's taller and better looking. Off you go. I'd be dismissing people like a pull string doll. Off you go. Please leave me alone. Get the fuck. One thing I mastered at a young age was saying, now is this psychopath behavior? Absolutely. But if anything, you could applaud the uh, preparation, which a couple, couple women did. They appreciated this. One of them was in her mid-20s in sales, way out of my league when I was 19. But, hey, you know what? You want to try to get to the mountain top, you got to try to climb that thing right now. She was very nice in letting me go, but did, did appreciate uh, the effort in which I did this because what I, she knew that what was happening. If you know you want to talk to someone, you're interested in this person, why not take a few, a few time or some time to think about things you can say spontaneously to make this look like it was improv, even though it's not, and make this funny captivating and very, very quick because you don't have much time. I got really good at that. Probably why sales makes sense to me because that exact thing, that measure is wildly transferable. And there was a time at a convention in Austin, Texas in 2011 where the director of a massive hospital, the director of all of their imaging maintenance was there and everyone's trying to talk to him, all right? But I know one thing, okay? He is a huge Tampa Rays fan. He's from that area. He's one of the eight actual fans that they have. They're in the playoffs, and Matt Moore is on the mound tonight. And I know for a fact that this guy probably doesn't want to talk during that game. I also know he probably doesn't want to watch that game around a lot of people. Probably wants to watch it in seclusion or around a couple people that he likes. At least that's what I would do. And so... I notice he is not at the hotel bar while the game is running and think that maybe he is just watching in his room like a normal person go across the street just to see if he's at the only other place he could be. And there he is in the corner by himself, shot at Jameson, tall, bud heavy, TV right in front of him. Initiate immediately. And so I did. I knew what I would say in my head. I psychopathically, I don't think that's a word, but whatever, 
did the deductive reasoning to figure out where he could be and why I was correct. And there he is sitting there and I know exactly how to approach this. And an elevator speech of 15 seconds got him to laugh. I even told him, I understand you're watching this game. I don't want to bother you. I'm a huge Matt, Marifo- Matt, Matt Moore fan myself and I am. I even showed him my wager, which was a loser, of course. And I was able to get a meeting with this man because of the elevator speech. Did the meeting result in business? It did not. And that is not on me. That is because he was going to be taking a promotion. And he even took the time to set me up with the person in his place. And it did not work out. But the point is, none of this happens without the elevator speech, regardless if I prepared for it or not. Regardless of how psycho I was to try to find this guy during a you know, playoff game in Major League Baseball. But it worked. It could work for you. It, could, it works with women. It works. Don't treat it as a numbers game. Because when you treat something as a numbers game, you dilute the actual effort in the individual conversation. So never do that. Treat everyone like it's your last. Know in your subconscious that there's 20,000 other ducks on the pond, but for all intents and purposes and the actual reality of the situation currently, you need to pretend that this is it. And if you can stick to that mentality, you'll find yourself to probably get a lot more numbers or connections on Tinder, as well as getting you know purchase orders and credit apps filled out to then get revenue from people you're trying to sell stuff to and stuff. You with me so far? I'll give you an example, all right, even though you don't need one. American Idol was huge in the early 2000s. I mean, it was about as big as it gets, all right? And this is happening. I'm like a sophomore or a junior in school or whatever. And there's this one girl that is in theater at the College of Charleston. She is not ugly, not ugly at all. And she can sing, and she's a great actor and all this. And she works at the restaurant across the street. So... I know that she's like into American Idol vocals. She's into theater, right? This isn't like, again, the Sherlock Holmes, like, oh, man, you know, my dear Watson. This is very straightforward. Uh, but, but this so much isn't. So I know that if I ever see her in the elevator speech here, I'm going to have to do something with American Idol. In this instance, I just want to get her to laugh. I had an opportunity a couple times where there was too many people. It was too loud. The joke might not be delivered, and this is strike one, you're out. Most of these elevator speeches, it is strike one, you're out. So you really can't afford to miss. So I just get right next to her. One of her friends is kind of twiddling around with the bartender, and I just ask her. I was like, hey, Jenny. And she doesn't know me from Adam. Turns around, looks at me, evaluates me, and probably thinks, okay, he's a six. I can at least give him a couple seconds, so I'm going to get into the elevator speech. And I was like... You catch Idol last night and straight face, you catch Idol last night, question mark. And then as she's like trying to get an answer, I just go, well, if you didn't, you should because I was on it. And then just complete silence, straight face. And then she starts laughing. You see, this elevator speech now extends into the five minute test zone, which comes after that. That's the pilot or we're going to run a test initiative with this person to see where this conversation goes to see if we're going to roll out this product or if we're going to halt it here and say thanks but no thanks. So the little things like that can really give you a distinct advantage. I hear elevator speeches all the time. I heard one recently in a hotel. A coach was giving it to his little baseball team out in the lobby. It was about 20 seconds. The, the, the bus had just pulled up and it was horrible. It was a horrible rah-rah, a coach-o speech of complete nonsense. Uh, but But he got his point across that if they don't win this game today, they can't win the championship tomorrow, and then Disney World is out of the picture. So yes, motivate the children with Mickey and hold that over their head like a gangster 
and then we'll see how it all shakes out. I, th- I think it's a great idea, but a terrible elevator speech. Coaches will have these moments, but you don't really want to have them if you can avoid that at any measure. Things are a little more forecastable in that world as far as things we need to say in equation with things we're going to need to do to do what it is we came here to accomplish. So when you see or hear an elevator speech, it's very important to understand not just the context, but the setting. The where becomes important here. Where are we? Why are we doing this? So, you know, I heard one recently, a guy approaching a girl at a hotel bar uh, earlier in the beginning or the end of 2022 around, it was in December in Florida, and his efforts were pretty good. But he forgot to take one thing into consideration. You're trying to elevator speech a chick that's closing her tab. This is a mega miss. What are you trying to do? When Boston Dan was courting the chick at the Saltgrass in Mississippi with the cheesecake pickup line, she was not anywhere near closing out. So he closed her out, right? He closed the deal, got the phone number, got the digits. I got a number. So that worked out immensely on his end. But he doesn't have the time to do this in this situation, which clearly tells me he has no idea the confines of the rules or what we're trying to do here from a strategic standpoint. Now, do we? This does not look strategic. This looks desperate. You can still be desperate late in strategy. Just don't show it because then it becomes pathetic. And that's what this was. I did, however, hear an elevator speech from a kid coming in trying to peddle his beer to a bar that I don't live far from picking up some food and I was sitting there mixing it up with the bartender, big Knicks fan. We're talking and I hear this kid come in to pitch his dad's beer that he just brewed and it was excellent. Excellent. Had a quick sample with him. It was cold for the bartender I was talking to to try. Thought it was amazing. He's the bar manager. Can make decisions on what they put on tap. And now his beer is in their bar. Congratulations. That is excellent. And this kid understands the power of the elevator speech. Now, I said you won't really hear them in sports too much. You shouldn't. But when you do, take notice of what is being said. Take notice of how, what is the demeanor in which the man or woman is giving giving you this information. Most importantly, why is he doing this? Why is this person got to the point where they're trying to give us a 15-second warm, warm fuzzy? Why is that? Well, it just so happens that I was watching... ESPN News, and they had an interview with a certain college football coach, one you've never heard of. Now, normally I just blow past these, even though I really do think there's tons of information. I don't think, I know. There's tons of information in in interviews with coaches. Uh, Just whether it's good or bad, you have to disseminate accordingly. Uh, But there is tons of information flying around, just like on a poker table or anything else. It's yours to pick up if you choose to be cognizant of what's happening. And if not, then you can continue to walk around in the matrix. <laughs> I don't know. Wake up. <laughs> I love those. Whenever someone screams, wake up, there's like a conservative screaming, wake up, a liberal screaming, wake up. Both of them think they're right. Unfortunately, one of them's wrong. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just funny. Like, what are you guys is wrong? How is that possible? Both so passionate. And maybe you're both missing. I have no idea. Let's start our own news network. What do you say? But what makes sports elevator speeches interesting, as I gave you all the context prior, not just the delivery, is sometimes the timing. This is a really weird month to be interviewing any coach in college football. We're not even in July yet. We're halfway through June. 
We're not going to see a football thrown officially for a couple months. This seems to be a little early, but there's a lot going on within this college currently. And I came to the point where after hearing this, I decided that we were going to move an entire episode out just because of the, not just how prevalent this is from a timing standpoint, but just the importance of this in general. I should have done one on this a while ago, so this opened up a much needed door. So they got a microphone in front of the Ohio Bobcat coach's face, Tim Albin. He's a very good coach. You probably haven't heard of him. He spent the majority of his coaching career with Ohio. If you don't know anything about Ohio, they usually light up the Mac. Uh, They usually don't play much defense, have a very good quarterback for Mac standards, sometimes send one to the NFL, and they score. They like to throw, and they do this with offensive line cohesion. Normally, Ohio will send a couple kids on the low and lower rounds from their offensive line to the NFL that no one notices, and people seem to forget that Ohio is in the same state that Ohio State is in. This is something that is happening to Tulane right now. When you have guys that could play for LSU, and the athletes that Tulane has in LSU are going to be different, but not at the top level. Spears, that running back that Tulane has that just went to the NFL, is better than anybody that LSU had. The drunk neighbor will tell you that. And Spears is incredible. I mean, is he still running on USC? What do you have, 350 yards on 30 carries and four touchdowns? Something outrageous. Guy's ridiculous. And then on third and one or fourth and inches versus UCF, when the season's on the line and there's 11 guys in the box, they don't cuck to quarterback sneak. They just give him the football under center, and he powers forward for four feet. So this guy's got it all. Much like Tulane, Ohio is now, we're seeing this in more and more and more schools. When you have a dominant, prevalent state, Ohio and then Louisiana, and only two really major programs in either state, in other words, they don't have to do what Auburn does with Alabama or Florida, Florida State, or, you know, A&M with UT or whatever. It doesn't matter what conference you're in, really. It's just there's no one else that's on that level. You're going to have a lot of players that are still going to want to play for the mothership as a three-star. Problem is, unless you really show these guys something in practice or in fall ball, you're never going to play. So you can be on a championship team on the bench, or you can go 65 miles to the east, play for Tulane, start right now. And by the way, we're ninth in the country uh, preseason. So they're starting to do this more and more, and it's working. A three-star that's recruited to LSU that transfers to Tulane is like a five-star that Tulane recruited. We're seeing this now with Ohio. As every single wide receiver on Ohio for the Bobcats has transferred from Ohio State. Let me just let that sink in. Their entire receiving core are the people that were scholarshiped and recruited by Ohio State University and realized they're not going to play, and now they're going to play for Ohio. You know what that means? That means a lot of people from the MAC. They're going to have to try to cover them. And the people that play for Akron at cornerback ain't the same that play at Michigan. They're going to be good. Hell, they had one transfer there last year. Winglets, 74 receptions, 11 touchdowns, led the team, led the MAC in yards too. No surprise. Now we're adding two more of these guys. You have my interest. Last year, the Ohio Bobcats were 10-4. and four. After starting off like 1-5, and five, finished 7-1 and one in conference. And there was a point where it looked like their season and this guy's coaching tenure, Albin, was going to come to an abrupt end. As their stud quarterback, Curtis Rourke, after throttling Buffalo, going 20 of 29 for 320 and 5 on national television, and three of those incompletions were spikes, ripping them to shreds with just unbelievable 
everything, tore his ACL. And the Bobcats were able to change their identity, go to a defensive team with a freshman quarterback, and win out, including the bowl game. An overtime victory over Wyoming, which was the best bowl game uh, out there, in my opinion, next to TCU Michigan, which was fun for a lot of reasons, but Ohio State Georgia was probably the funnest game of the entire bowl season, in my opinion. Um, but this one with Ohio, one way less notable, was also incredible. Curtis Work is going to be returning, not at 100% in the beginning, but good enough to walk around and throw with this new receiving core, and they are going to be wildly, wildly dangerous. And even after the wake of this success, I'm on there watching Albin on the podium get grilled about a lot of decisions within the coaching staff that's irrelevant to this conversation. I know what's going on. doesn't matter. And then he does something I haven't seen in a long time. He points to the reporter that's asking him questions, and it's something that I would do, and it's not because I have a combative nature, and it's not because I want to get it back in your face, even though I most certainly do. It's because the only way to continue a conversation appropriately when you're being attacked in the passive-aggressive regard is to get it out on the table and send something back at them and tell them they're doing it because you're doing it to me. And he did it. And he asked him, why do you think we play? Did he say he's setting this up. I love it. I love hypotheticals. So clearly the good to win the game. Right, we play to win the game. Now why do you think that is? Yes. And he has no answer. He goes, give me your elevator speech, quote, on what is happening right now. In other words, sum up all the bullshit you're trying to say into a classic elevator speech so we can do this like adults or I can make up my mind if it's something I want to pursue or if I'll just drop it right now. And the reporter could not do it. He got his moment here, a little beat writer for the Bobcats is getting his moment to joust with the coach, the biggest moment that he'll have in his career until he gets fired or goes to greener grass, if that ever happens. And from judging by the context of this transcript, he ain't going anywhere. And he could not do this. He could not do this because he did not do what I asked you to do and what I told you I did earlier, and that is in your head. And how can you not? When all you're doing professionally as a reporter is asking elevator speeches in these press conferences. That's all this is. And his failure to be able to carry this cohesive conversation is just an indictment on journalism as a whole. No matter if that's in the political or sports realm, it doesn't matter to me. And it shouldn't matter to you. How can one not be prepared in that spot, in that situation, for a cabbage ball question like that? And then he takes over and says, I'll answer it for you. And then he gives the very political answer on what they're trying to do here with the kids. And I'm not saying he's lying. And it is more than winning. He knows that. Don't question the motives. Just write about the games. Probably the best response imaginable to another idiot in the media that is prepared to do everything but what he is paid to do. And he probably thinks he's incredible at doing it. When in all actuality, he is horrible. It's a shame this isn't an isolated trait as this has spread 
throughout the world over the last few decades, the likes of which I don't even know what to compare it to. If you think COVID moved fast, and I mean, what is this? It's unbelievable. A reporter that has no elevator speech for this big ceremonious question, gotcha moment he tried to have and was denied. And a real man in the corner that shows him how this is done. And by the way, don't ask no questions, you little bitch. Just give the money, is what he told him. That's what I heard. How can one not have one ready there? How can you afford to not have one ready with the girl that you've been ice kind of chasing around in your head for years? How can you not be prepared to be in front of this decision maker you've been chasing around and no one can get a meeting with him because he's got 19 gatekeepers and here's your shot and you're going to blow it? Because you weren't ready? Do you think you get more points as a reporter for doing things a certain way or more points in sales from a dollar standpoint from doing things the traditional way? Let me help you out. You don't. You don't. Ten years from now, is anybody going to be talking about trash cans in the Astros? They're really not even doing it now. No, they're going to forget. They won the World Series. It's over. It's in the books, and it's not even why they won. So no one cares. I'm not saying get things done to any extent and worry about the consequences later, but in this case, you clearly see what I'm getting at. Be prepared. The elevator speech is a real thing. When that elevator speech comes around your way, don't cuck. You got 15 seconds. Use them. Has anybody seen Bro Exotic? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Wow. I hope you're prepared, Mr. Bro. Well, uh, yeah, we're pooped, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm ready. Let's begin. <clears throat> bro Exotic joins the Sports Antelope. Once again, Bro, how are you there, bud? Uh, what's going on, dude? Yeah, bro Exotic, uh, Vice Mayor of Cal, Church of Woke. What's going on, bro? Sick. There is a lot going on in this world, bro. I have a feeling most of what you're going to speak of is typically things I and the listeners of The Antidote would not want to hear. But every time I think that, you end up saying something that I don't want to hear, but really I do. So let's do one of those. Sight unseen. What you got? I am going to take a stab at it. I imagine, even though we are in Pride Month, we do have to talk about Juneteenth. Well, of course, dude. Well, Juneteenth. Okay, is, if not, is, I'm saying we don't have to. If you don't want to. Oh no, 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 dude. Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth in the in Pride Month is is the perfect storm of woke. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, dude. Um, and you know, typically we like to uh, we like to get really uh, excited about Juneteenth and what it represents, but uh, we uh we've been really. We've been really up in arms about this racist, cisgender, fascist county commissioner named Joe Carr in Sullivan County, Tennessee. Uh, he, he did dub Juneteenth as a woke holiday, uh, which is correct. But yeah, he voted- I was going to say, but it, it is. Co- let, yeah. let, let's just start there real quick, because I just want to make sure everyone understands. You, you do classify Juneteenth as a woke holiday, but I feel like if you say that, it's like, well, of course, everyone knows this. That is the case, right? Yeah, it goes without saying, yes. Okay, good. So we're all on the same page with that then, I think. Absolutely, dude. It's uh it's it's most definitely a woke holiday, but it took uh this this uh fascist uh Republican county commissioner to actually dub it that way. Uh so <laughs> so good for him. <laughs> I mean, you said Republican though, bro exotic. I mean, I think that goes without being said, but I mean that we, goes without being said as well, yes, dude. But uh but he like did go Ten- on. what would Tennessee do without Nashville? Jeez. Yeah. 
But he did go on to uh, to end up voting no uh, for having Juneteenth be a paid holiday for county employees. Hashtag Harriet Tubman. Hashtag women's rights. Uh, so we can kind of see like the South in its entirety is really in a steep decline, you know, with like uh, Georgia's voter suppression, uh, county employees in Tennessee not being uh, being denied their Juneteenth reparations. And, uh, you know, of course, Ron DeSantis making it illegal for children to be gay under the age of 17. That's I mean, good. it's just it, it's just crazy. And, you know, I mean, uh, even out west, dude, you know, the Los Angeles Catholics are restricting pansexual religious practices outside Dodger Stadium. Uh, they I mean, are. So, it's, you know, just Juneteenth and Pride Month, uh, we're really struggling with uh, with, with both issues, dude. Uh, you know, how we uh, look at society in the in the lens of race and uh, and each category of the uh, LGBTQ uh, plus community. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of struggles here, dude. We have uh, America's got a long way to go. Um, but yeah, we're going to be working on the South, dude. Uh, the South shall woke again, dude. Yeah, I mean, the South shall woke again. Uh, I mean, every, every place must at some point. I mean, at least the way that I'm starting to see things. I'm sure the woke devil has a lot to do with that. Don't think we've forgotten about that. And I know... Thank you for responding to a couple of the listeners about getting up on this episode and doing the drunk, excuse me. Well, there's got to be alcohol involved. The drunk, maybe, but definitely woke gender reveal parties. Doing that during Juneteenth would then take away from June from June and Pride Month as a whole. But in July, we can get to that next stepping stone, right, of what happens at these woke gender reveals. Most definitely do. Woke gender reveals do not, uh, do, they do not eclipse Juneteenth or... Uh... You know, everything it represents or Pride Month. Even oh, wow. Pride, so even though the so, Pride Month and gender reveals are kind of synonymous, one of the same there. Uh, but we're not, we're, but we're going to take our full <laughs> focus on uh, honoring uh, those people in the uh, Pride community and uh, obviously our wonderful people in color uh, for Juneteenth. Hashtag BLM. Uh, so, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll definitely get into uh, woke hell, woke devil, uh, woke gender reveals. Um, a lot of those, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredible. Uh, real quick before you go, bro, and, and we do definitely look forward to getting in that in depth. Probably a longer, probably a longer bit for you, because we really we need to set the mode. We need to paint this Mona Lisa. I want to know what the weather is like, what the pool is like, all of these things. Did we shop at Whole Foods, or did we grow our own corn for the salsa? All these things that everybody cares about, we will absolutely uh, discuss. Uh, and you know. One thing that I, I, I feel I don't ask enough, you know, what, what's the woke Pope's view on Juneteenth? Like, I mean, did he have a sermon on tu- Tuesday, right? Or Wednesday? Tonight? Oh, it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Everyone knows this. I'm sorry. So church was yesterday. I mean, was there anything the woke Pope had to share, maybe calm or ease the, you know, the unrest of the woke community during Juneteenth while these guys in Tennessee run around in their clan outfits or what? Well, yeah, dude, we expose our... Uh our uh privileged uh woke children to uh <laughs> to, to like to scenes from roots where uh Kinte has to admit to being Toby. You know, it's it's important for them to really to really get the whole Juneteenth experience uh, and really know what our um the ancestors of our uh, woke children of color what they went through, you know. Oh man, maybe we should send a lot of those kids to the Museum of Intolerance that Eric Cartman visited in South Park. Is that a, is that is that an option? Oh, if one if one existed. Oh, wait, it does. It <laughs> bro exotic. We all know that's a real place. Well, bro, look, happy Juneteenth. 
happy Pride Month. I know, you know, we're already getting closer to July than before. Every week, we're almost out of this month. But don't worry, there's a lot of woke and a lot of gay to be had every month of the year. Believe me there. Bro Exotic, anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah, dude. No joke, stay woke. Um, just uh, happy Juneteenth, which is the real Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. Um, Unlike your your uncultured Fourth of July next week, that all, all of you, uh, all of you, all the cowards, you you charlatans. It's true. We that's, that's what are... you celebrate. Uh, it's all right, yeah. dude. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's all good. You celebrate the Independence Day for the white man, dude. I know it's in your blood. It. I mean, hey. I mean, I don't know what to say. I was born this way. I think uh, they had a song about that. I don't know. Anyway, Bro Exotic, thanks for jumping on the Sports Halo here in this lovely evening. We look forward to having you on next week and then soon hearing about what happens at these gender uh, reveals. We just can't wait. Bro Exotic, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. All right, dude. Cheers. Thanks for joining the Sports Halo episode number 157, The Elevator Speech. You got 15 seconds. You didn't talk about Ohio's team toe. We'll be talking about that. Believe you me. And early in the year, Ohio plays Iowa State. I already feel Iowa State's going to be terrible. I'm already looking at taking their under on one of the, the sacred college football futures here. They play each other early. I see Ohio's a short dog. I think they're going to win that game. If Ohio wins that game, they're going to win this team total easily, and it pretty much will disqualify Iowa State already if this does happen. Even if it doesn't happen, they're probably still both going to go, but we'll wait until August before we touch on that. Thanks to Bro Exotic. Look forward to hearing from the drunk neighbor coming up here. Hopefully, Benny Han is coming in as well. Tommy Benz should be back from China. China! Or Japan or wherever he is. Who cares? Just get that elevator speech ready, pal. Don't cuck. Don't shame your father. Don't be a coward. Be ready to roll when the spotlight comes on you. Thanks to Bro Exotic for jumping on here once again. We'll see you all next week. Keep it real. And it doshins. Off on an absolute charge, bon voyage. Yeah, from the home of the Dodgers, Brooklyn squad. Who tangled her bees on the street?